welcome to Fine Laws Don't Judge Me, the podcast about law in real life. I am not Laura Temi. Uh, filling in for Laura today, I'm Vebahi Mehta, uh, joined by veterans Andy Leonati. Hey, Andy. Hey, I'm glad we decided to keep you around for another go through the, the wash and dry cycle. Only because Laura clearly needed a break this week. So I am back and we are also joined again by Joe Fabish after his break from us. How was that, Joe? It was awesome, and I'm super excited to be back. I got to cut you off, Joe. We're having, we're clearly having too much fun. <laughs> Apparently, and too much banter <laughs> leading up to these podcasts. Yeah, so glad you're here to keep us from steering our listeners into legal doldrums. Thank you, Andy. I'm always looking out for our listeners. Well, uh, to, to jump straight into the topic, then uh, what we have on the docket today is. Uh, a headline that's been making news uh, recently, but sort of competing with, uh, you know, stuff about Afghanistan. And it's not too dissimilar, right? It's a lot about, uh, has to do with guns and foreign governments, uh, supplying arms to foreign governments similarly. Always a very fun, neutral topic that does not evoke any emotions amongst no, people. No, this is not a contentious <laughs> topic at all. Um, so for those of you that might have missed uh, the news uh, amidst all the Afghanistan talk over the past couple of weeks, um, Mexico, the government of Mexico, is suing the U.S., but not quite really. Uh, headlines are a little bit misleading. Uh, they phrase it like Mexico is suing the United States. Not quite. Um, the Mexican government is actually suing a number of U.S.-based gun companies in a lawsuit that alleges a number of things from tort law, negligence, basically claiming damages that are manifest in a lot of Mexican lives being lost by the guns that are being sold and distributed from the U.S. but ending up in Mexico. Yeah, this is an interesting topic because it combines a lot of different aspects of the law. We can talk about how foreign entities outside of the U.S. are able to sue in U.S. courts. We can talk about the Second Amendment. We can talk about federal law. Um, so this is kind of a, a rich topic to look into. So I'm excited about today's episode. Yeah, there's a lot going on and there's there's a lot of moving parts here. So I think before we dive into the nitty gritty of this actual lawsuit, it might be good to cover some principles, uh, some legal principles of, you know, things like sovereign immunity, um, standing uh, and things that are or aren't going on in this suit. Uh, so broadly, like I said before, this suit is not uh, Mexico trying to sue the United States government. If that were the case, that might implicate um, principles of sovereign immunity. Now, sovereign immunity is a pretty ancient doctrine that uh, at least for the United States, would make our federal government immune from all lawsuits, uh, whether that would be by United States domestic civilians or foreigners, unless the United States expressly made a statute, like created, passed a statute and said in the text that they are waiving this immunity. And only Congress can do this. Only Congress can pass the statute waiving this immunity. So the executive branch, the president, the judiciary courts can't do this. Uh, and then, of course, even if there has been a waiver, uh, the government isn't subject to monetary liability, like this suit is trying to claim, monetary damages, unless the waiver provides consents to the monetary uh, damages. So um, there are some you know, similar principles that 
allow for foreign suits for special cases, like we have the Court of International Trade that gets to hear cases against, yes, the United States government for things that only specifically relate to trade, import taxes, embargoes, and things like that. That's not at play here. Even though, yes, we're talking about arms trade, we're not talking about suing them about the trade itself, about the taxes, about the money or anything like that. We're talking about the gun makers being negligent in their practices. So it's it's different. Yeah, because this, does, this doesn't have to do with normal business. This has to do with the illegal flow of guns across the border, correct? Exactly, yeah. So we're not talking about any of the things that would be implicated in international trade per se. And overall, we don't have, or again, we don't have the Mexican government trying to sue our government. We have the Mexican government trying to sue American domestic private parties in the form of gun companies. Another principle that might you know, come into play is something that's called comedy of nations. Um, and so comedy is a principle, not, not comedy, which we normally do on this for, podcast. Yeah, for, for our <laughs> listeners, C-O-M-I-T-Y. <laughs> Although this podcast aims to provide both types of comedy uh, for, for our listeners. Uh, but but comedy with a T um, is a principle that can be kind of confusing because it's, it comes up in a number of different ways. There is the comedy clause in the Constitution, and that says, okay, if a state passes a law, then you need to respect it. Another state needs to respect that law. Like if there's a, if there's a suit and a, a judgment's been made in a suit um, and it says come out one way in one state, then the, another state needs to respect it, even if its own law doesn't have, you know, wouldn't provide that kind of judgment, right? So it's just basically one state having to respect the suit, um, the, the judgments that are uh, have been made in another state. You can't move to Las Vegas to get out of child support. <laughs> um, but but that only applies like between United States, right? So there's um, foreign comedy, like for another country, is different. There is no constitutional obligation to enforce a foreign judgment, and there's really no hard international law to do this either. The only thing that is at play is some sort of soft law or public policy um, that shapes this principle of comedy of nations. So it's the principle that, yeah, us as the United States government will adopt or enforce the law of another country, but only out of deference um, and respect. We don't really have a hard legal obligation to do so. Anyway, none of that is at play here because Mexico is not saying, U.S. companies, we want to sue you under our own Mexican laws. Instead, Mexico is alleging that these companies violated United States laws, our own laws, such as our tort law and different even state gun laws, such as like a Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act, some Massachusetts Consumer Protection Act. All of these laws that Mexico is saying that the companies violated are American, whether federal or state laws. So none of this foreign law stuff is coming into play in this suit at all. So this particular case instead is, um, well, let's get into the weeds. So this case is being brought out of federal district court, uh, the district court for Massachusetts, uh, probably because Smith & Wesson's headquarters are there. Uh, otherwise, I can't really think of a good reason why that particular court, because these gun manufa- manufacturers are kind of all over the place. Um, but the name plaintiff is the Estados Unidos Mexicanos. It's the government, it's the, the, the nation of Mexico. And the name defendants are many. Uh, they're a bunch of 
mostly gun manufacturers, namely Smith & Wesson, which is the biggest American gun manufacturer and headquartered in Massachusetts. Also Ruger, which is the third largest. Uh, otherwise, other gun manufacturers you'd recognize would be Beretta, Glock, Colt, um, among others. Um, some of these... I, you know, are are some of the biz- biggest gun manufacturers in the country, but some of the biggest manufacturers did not make it onto this defendant list. Um, and then there's one uh, group that's a wholesaler, Interstate Arms, through which of through which most of these manufacturers sell their weapons. Um, but it didn't include several big manufacturers like Remington. Uh, Anyway, the relief is suing all of these as collective defendants, and it's seeking $10 billion in damages. Um, Things that the suit alleges are that that these companies are being willfully blind in their sales and in their distribution, um, and that leads to aiding and abetting of the killing and maiming of children, journalists, police, judges, ordinary citizens in Mexico, and that this has substantially reduced the life expectancy of Mexican citizens, and it's cost the Mexican government billions of dollars a year. And they're also alleging that what's happening in Mexico, it's not just like an inevitable consequence of the gun business in general, or it's not even a consequence of the U.S. gun laws, but it's a foreseeable result of the company's own deliberate actions and their business practices. So the lawsuit makes it clear, kind of strangely, I found it surprising, it's saying that it's not challenging or questioning the law or policy or any action of the United States. Um, And it's not trying to make the United States government accountable. It's actually trying to make the private companies accountable, Uh, which kind of, you know, doesn't really square with a lot of... um, commentators and a lot of, you know, legal theorists and foreign policy experts on how they view that the Mexican government is trying to get a message across to the, uh, to the U.S. government at large. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I was actually going to ask you to expand on that because the lawsuit itself is a bit of a long shot. And a lot of people are taking away from this that rather than really trying to win on the merits, um, which, by the way, that might be why they are in Massachusetts. They might be shopping for the most friendly jurisdiction that there is. But I'm wondering if that... I I, I think there is some rationale to saying that Mexico is trying to bring awareness to this and maybe get some sympathy from members of Congress or the current administration and talk about maybe diplomatic ways of stemming the tide of guns flowing across the border in that direction. And I think there is some truth to that. Yeah, they definitely have a more sympathetic ear in the White House. For sure. And and it could be that, you know, these little caveats that they have in the lawsuit, like we're not actually commenting on the United States policy, that could just be, you know, lip service, uh, just trying to preserve relationships with the United States. But making it pretty clear that they don't actually uh, agree with the policies. So, yeah, exactly. It could be their own way of trying to um, make it more diplomatic. Yeah. And I do think they have legitimate concerns about how those cartels are getting armed. It's very hard to buy a gun in Mexico. 
legitimate legal to legally purchase a firearm in Mexico is yeah. extremely difficult. It's next to impossible if you're a civilian. So there's only uh, one firearm store in the entire country of Mexico, and it's owned by the military. And according to its own data, it only issues less than 50 permits a year. But at the same time, there's an estimate of 200,000 firearms that are being illegally trafficked in from the U.S. every year to Mexico. And 70 to 90 percent of the firearms that are found at crime scenes in Mexico can be traced back to the United States. So um, put that together with the fact that out of all the homicides in Mexico last year alone, 25,000 almost were using a firearm. That shows you that, you know, Mexico's own policies of, of gun control are being based. We're flying in the face of that by pr- providing or at least indirectly contributing to this illegal trafficking. Yeah, and of course, part of the issue in the case is, is Mexico responsible for enforcing its own gun laws, or is this a responsibility of the gun manufacturers who are allowing this practice to occur? And I think, depending on which side of the argument you are on, is is kind of how you're going to feel about that issue in particular. Right. And and that's why Mexico um, probably is using a lot of tort law claims for this case in, in pointing to the manufacturer's practices themselves. So um, they're saying that these companies are reckless and at least negligent um, in, in various different ways. Uh, so in the design, the marketing, the distribution and selling of their guns, because they these companies know that these guns routinely arm drug cartels in Mexico. Uh, They're saying that these companies are using reckless and corrupt gun dealers to sell and distribute. And even the gun design, uh, the manufacturers are designing these guns to be easily modified to fire automatically and to be readily transferable onto the criminal market in Mexico. Um, They're saying that these manufacturers know how to make and sell their guns to prevent this kind of trade. And in fact, the United States has issued some recommendations in how to not do that, but they're kind of ignoring those recommendations because following them would be less profitable than continuing to market how they are. Um, And also the companies are not implementing any sort of monitoring or public safety related controls on their distribution systems. Back in 2001, uh, our federal government even called on these defendants, various gun companies, to put into place monitoring and supervising uh, policies on the distribution of their guns, and they refused to do so. So what the Mexican government is comparing it to is just as companies from one country can't dump toxic waste or other pollution uh, to poison Mexico across the border, they can't send their weapons of war into the hands of these cartels, which causes different but just as egregious harm. Um, And then, you know, you can't pollute and then claim immunity from accountability for polluting. So you can't do the same for sending guns is what they're saying. Don't a lot of the gun manufacturers also kind of use some marketing language that is like very obviously geared toward a 
I guess if we want to be generous toward the gun toward the gun manufacturers, we would just say a Spanish speaking <laughs> audience. Absolutely, um, and 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 the suit totally milks this too. Uh, so um, the plaintiffs are claiming that these companies are actively trying to market specifically to, if we want to be generous, a Mexican audience, but more specifically to cartels because uh, the kind of designs of the guns themselves that these gun manufacturers use are coveted status symbols by cartel leaders. So just to give you some examples, Colt makes a couple of lines called El Jefe and El Grito, which are 38 caliber pistols uh, that have, you know, um, various revolution like various coveted status symbols and mexican icons on them they have a 38 caliber um pistol that has it's called the emiliano zapata 1911 edition and it's gold <laughs> nothing subtle about that <laughs> Not at all. it's gold dude it's got his face on it and there's a couple of different editions that i saw um that have quotes from zapata on it there's one that's called like uh, libertad which is a quote from him uh during the revolution and there's one very popular in the united states yeah there's there's <laughs> also one with a quote on him that says prefiero morir de pie que vivir which is I'd rather die standing than live on my knees. Um, so, you know, not only is it a coveted status symbol that cartel leaders would like to have and kind of flaunt, but it's also the quotes are kind of, you know, violent. I, I don't know. Um, anyway, these weapons, like these specific lines, the Zapata collection by Colt that is designed uh, to be that is designed to like attract the attention of cartel dealers. This was also the weapon that was used for the 2018 murder of uh, a Mexican investigative journalist, Miroslava Breach, uh, when she was trying to uncover corruption, drug trafficking, and human rights violations in Mexico. So these very weapons are being, are turning up at crime scenes. Yeah, I was just gonna jump in because you just made a pretty strong case there. I'm convinced anyway, that <laughs> Colt is very well, aware of what their guns are used for and have no particular objection to taking people's money. Um, but that it took a lot of work to convince noted second amendment <laughs> originalist <laughs> Joe Fawbush. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andy, do you want to fill us in on what the uh, reactions are from second amendment advocates? As we talk about some of this stuff, allow me ju just the names you know, or using Zapata quotes or his likeness or anything like that. You know, there's a very obvious, you know, kind of for even to me without even having to look up what the NRA is probably obviously said about this, which is like there's a very obvious First Amendment protection in that Colt can put whoever they want on their weapons and sell them to people. Yeah, there is definitely no violation of any state or federal law to put on a revolutionary figure on a gun. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But where do we draw the line? Because we do have regulations about how smoking companies, like tobacco companies, like what, what they can advertise and whether they can, you know, not be attractive to children and advertise in ways that would attract children. So there is some sort of loophole around the First Amendment. It just hasn't been applied in this context yet. You want to put the put the big rectangle box on the on the handle. <laughs> I can I can already hear the gun the gun guys typing their emails right now since I called it a handle instead of whatever <laughs> whatever whatever it's called that you put your hand around to to use. Um, 
Just put the big like smoking warning on that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This so could like, be harmful to your health. Yeah. <laughs> or the health of others, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but there has been, you know, the reaction, unsurprisingly, from Second Amendment rights proponents, including national organizations such as like NSSF, the Firearm Industry Trade Association, has been kind of blanket denials. Um, they reject Mexico's allegations altogether. They're complying with federal law. Yeah, correct? exactly. They're saying that <laughs> all their guns sold in the U.S. are quote, sold in accordance with federal and state laws with an FBI background checked and forms completed. Thank you very much. So they're denying the allegations um, overall and the, their SVP blames it all on the cartels themselves and the illicit drug and human trafficking industries as a whole. They're saying that the Mexican government is responsible for bringing these cartels to justice and enforcing their own gun control laws within Mexican borders. And uh, he's also saying that this suit is an affront to, of course, the right to bear arms. And he's also going a little bit further and saying that because the Mexican people... Now, remember, in Mexico, it's very hard to buy firearms. And so the SVP of the Firearm Trade Industry Association is, is, is kind of like hitting them in a sore spot by saying, well, if the Mexican people have the same right to bear arms, they could protect themselves from the cartels. And so maybe Mexico should give them the right to bear arms. And isn't that just... Oh, would that be convenient? <laughs> would that be dandy for them? <laughs> um, the solution to gun violence is always more guns. That's kind of the way it's worked. Because you last fight firearms decades. with firearms. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So outside of this lawsuit, this this goes beyond just Mexico. You know, these arms are going into a lot of other Central American countries as well, um, Honduras, and and amongst various others that are implicated in the drug traffic in the drug trade. And one thing that a lot of, um, I think, people who are anti-drug but pro-Second Amendment don't realize is that they go hand in hand. Um, the, car, the, the whole narco-trafficking industry is run because there are guns to run it. And if we didn't have so many guns flying out of our country willy-nilly, then these cartel leaders wouldn't be able to enforce their own trade nearly as well. So um, it's kind of a little bit, I don't know, counterproductive to say, hey, we want to stop, we, we want to fight the war on drugs, but we, we want to have Second Amendment protections. Yeah, and not to be too paternalistic here but this this is obviously a good way for president lopez obrador of mexico to kind of shift the focus to another country versus a military and police force forces in mexico that have their own problems with corruption and turning a blind eye to cartel activities in certain parts of the country and things like that. We shouldn't absolve the Mexican government completely of the of their their responsibility in this as as well. Well, absolutely and uh the police and the Mexican government itself purchases enormous amounts of US weapons. Yes. So yep. they could stop buying U.S. guns if they wanted to. Yep. Those are legally bought, uh, and they want to focus the things, uh, you know, they want to focus on the actions that result in illegal trade. So a lot of proponents of the suit are basically just saying that too many American resources, like 
including border security, are going to stopping illegal narcotics trafficking back to the U.S. from Mexico, which is, of course, what we're going to care about, and not enough going to stopping gun trafficking the other way around. But, like I said, what goes out in the form of guns from our country to Mexico directly, well, or indirectly, but one way or another results in those drugs coming back into our country. Yes, most assuredly. And I guess I would like to ask, though, isn't there essentially some sort of blanket immunity that firearms manufacturers enjoy from being, they essentially cannot get sued? Yeah, so one kind of thorn in the side of all of this litigation might be uh, the federal statute that's relatively recent, the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, which is you know a federal law that aims to protect firearms manufacturers and dealers from being held liable when crimes have been committed with their products. Joe, do you want to tell us a little bit more about this? So the PLCAA was passed in 2005, and this was a response to several lawsuits earlier in the decade that made some of the same kind of claims that Mexico is now making, where gun manufacturers were not doing enough to protect innocent people or uh, not doing enough to kind of follow the trail of where the guns were going. And some of these lawsuits were not enormously successful in that they weren't getting a ton of money back, but the gun manufacturers did end up agreeing to do certain reforms. And as we've kind of talked about, the gun rights and gun manufacturers, people are not, are not very interested in doing any kind of reforms. Um, they're very big on the status quo. And Congress agreed and passed this law that makes it almost impossible to sue gun manufacturers unless there are very certain circumstances in place. And time and again, lawsuits have been dismissed kind of right off the bat, even before discovery could take place because of this law. So it's historically, it's been incredibly difficult to hold gun manufacturers liable for any kind of mass shooting or really any kind of gun violence at all. Yeah. And there's a new law that was just passed in New York state, which is, which attempts to basically capitalize on an, on an exception to the to the PLCAA, did I say that right? <laughs> PLCAA, which essentially leaves open the possibility of suing a firearm manufacturer that violates a state law with regard to marketing or improper sales. Uh, New York, the New York law is essentially classifying improper marketing or sale as a nuisance that now leaves these companies exposed to civil lawsuits in state court. And, and and to that point, you know, the suit does bring up certain state laws that aren't even directly gun related, like Consumer Protection Act laws or Unfair Trade mm-hmm. Practices Acts that are that are state specific that, you know, this uh, the PLCA wouldn't exempt manufacturers from liability on. But I think a lot of theorists agree uh, that the plaintiffs and their attorneys know that you know this this lawsuit is kind of a long shot but that they're bringing it more as a statement uh to make a statement um there is one sliver of hope even if this suit doesn't go forward 
So earlier this year, there was a California court that allowed a, a federal lawsuit to proceed against Smith & Wesson. There was also a, a lawsuit filed recently against Century Arms that related to a 2019 shooting in California as well. Um, there was also a $33 million settlement by Remington uh, for families who were killed in the New- Newtown, Connecticut mass school shooting. So maybe there's some hope. Settlement has not been accepted yet by the parents mm-hmm. of the Sandy Hook parents, but Remington's offered it. Remington's offered it. And so, and settlements are, of course, not going to be nearly as satisfying in terms of long-term implications and what the Mexican government wants. Uh, but that if, Newtown, the, the Newtown suit also kind of rested on the argument that Remington was marketing the, the gun specifically to someone like Adam Lanza that they should have known would take the gun and use it in the way that he did. Right. So like reckless marketing. So there might be a sliver of hope based on the recent California federal suit that's being allowed to move forward. But um, even if not, hopefully this suit will be sort of a, a broader awakening of federal policy, especially in this administration. It's, it's again, like you alluded to, Andy, it's better than trying to file this suit anytime in the last four years. <laughs> Not implying anything there, for the record. (laughs) So I wanted to bring up uh, the plaintiff's counter-argument to this federal law. And I was kind of wondering about your thoughts on whether the PLCAA applies to only domestic acts of violence in the U.S. or what Mexico is arguing is that under Supreme Court precedent, and kind of international law. What happens in Mexico makes it so that the PLCAA doesn't apply to to acts of violence that occur in Mexico. And so that's why they can kind of get around this law. Um, It it seems like a little bit of a stretch to me, but in the complaint, that's what they're going with. It seems like a stretch to me. Well, not a stretch. It seems sort of... um one foot forward and two steps back because if Mexico is trying to sue within the U.S. law at all, which they are, they're bringing suit entirely within various U.S. federal and state laws, then any sort of negligence, duty, especially since they're bringing so many tort suits, any duty owed would need to be a duty owed not just U.S. citizens, but Mexican citizens that the gun manufacturing companies should have foreseen would be affected. So basically... It's going to be hard for Mexico to say, well, gun companies owe us a duty to not do foreseeable harm to us under tort law, but we aren't implicated by this federal act because we're not United States citizens. So it's, I can't, they can't have their cake and eat it too, I don't think. And I think that's why the consensus is that it's a long shot lawsuit, because I, I think that's exactly right. I just wanted to shout out uh, that we do have a Second Amendment episode. If, if For those folks that are interested in learning more about the Second Amendment itself, uh, it was relatively recent, right? Yeah, it was just a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, we covered all of the cases that, they're, that the Supreme Court has taken. I think it was a couple of months ago at this point. Time has no meaning. Anymore. Okay, yeah. These, la- these last <laughs> right, two years. No. But I think it was a, I think it was a matter a of months, actually. Okay, well, sometime in the, since the part, podcast started we have done a second amendment (laughs) episode and we did cover all the different supreme court cases that tackle the second amendment there aren't many uh and yeah that's definitely a a good one to go back and listen to 
for those of you that want to read more about, you know, cartels and us, our government supplying specifically to Mexico uh, arms illegally, uh, there has been um, uh, a, a, a relatively new book called Blood, Gun, Money that uh, a lot of news agencies won't shut up about. Uh, this author, Ion Grillo, I-O-A-N, Grillo, G-R-I-L-L-O. Um, he has been getting a lot of buzz for his new book covering more details on this specific topic. So that is further reading for anyone who's interested. I expect a positive tweet or Instagram post from Mr. Grio sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yono, we're promoting your book free of charge. And that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Find Laws, Don't Judge Me. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the show notes for related content. And if you'd like to contact us, send us an email at findlawpodcasts at thompsonreuters.com. Uh, argument that they have to make because there is and and I don't want to <laughs> it always <laughs> happens that in. always that in. happens oh my gosh oh thank uh, god for editing right all right oh, yes and it happens you? every single time yes it does <laughs> only happen that this has actually already been on an outtake this is gonna be like my outtake. Highlight. Oh my gosh! I wasn't even. Uh, it's been yeah, on a blooper reel. I wasn't reel. even yes. like uh, messing with it. So yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs>